When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Affected by Altitude, a Purple Row podcast for and by Rockies fans. Thank you for joining us as we discuss all things baseball and Colorado Rockies. Welcome to Affected by Altitude. We appreciate you checking in with us this Monday as you're listening Friday when we are recording. This is your one-stop shop, as always, for all Rockies news, updates, hot takes, and bad takes alike. As always, my name is Mac Wilcox. I'm joined by my two bestest pals in the world, Skylar Timmons. You're the only friends I have. Oh, bummer, but also kind of nice. And Evan Lang. How's it going, everybody? That one was a lot more straightforward. I appreciate that. (laughs) Uh, This is Affected by Altitude, a Rockies podcast hosted by Purple Row, the Rockies affiliation of SB Nation. For those that have been listening to us for the past few episodes, you know we always start off every episode with an icebreaker, a way to start conversation light before we get into the details of the week. As always, please follow along on Twitter. Let us know. Your answer to this week's icebreaker, starting with uh, Skyler, who was the one that actually seeded this idea, which I like. What is your favorite baseball tradition or traditions? What are the superstitions, traditions, anything like that, that are pervasive in baseball that you love? Uh, so when I kind of thought of this, the one thing that came to mind was actually like my own family tradition of what I do with baseball. Uh, oh, nice. Is every year we have a bunch of apples that grow at my parents' house, 
And growing up, we'd always, there's way too many apples that any of us would ever use. And so oftentimes, around this time of year, actually coming up pretty soon, uh, we gather a bunch of them, and at least my oldest brother and I, or whoever's around, will usually go out into the field and have a apple home run derby every year. That's and that kind of signals our family baseball tradition. Uh, but yeah, outside of like regular traditions that are actually in baseball, I am very superstitious. You never step on the foul line. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff. Yep. That's a classic. I love the Apple Home Run Derby. That's really cool. Uh, what are yours, Evan? Uh, so I, I don't know, mine's kind of lame now. Um, <laughs> I am a big fan of seventh inning stretch. Uh, it is the only time I will straight up sing along with something at a sporting event. Mm-hmm. But my big superstition thing, and I'm sure this is a really common one, you do not mention a no hitter or a perfect game while it is happening. Of course. I'm not a terribly superstitious person. But I am just a little bit stitious, and that's one of them. <laughs> that one's like that's a big one still. I'm the same way. I don't talk about it. Don't mention it. Don't say the words. Nothing. You keep your mouth shut. You have to until it's either complete or it's been busted up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, am very much the same way. I don't think you can ever say those words while it's happening. The only ones I really get into, I'm a little bit more superstitious, just because. There's a lot of superstitions that run through baseball and like pro wrestling, so I just get a lot of that. But the ones I go to is like if your team's losing and like I go get a drink from the other room while we're watching it and they start coming back while I'm gone, that's where I stay. Like you don't come back in the room until the rally ends or whatever. Like somehow the energy shifted. You leaving the room allowed the Rockies to start stringing some hits together, or whatever. That's where you're going to stay. You, you stay in that kitchen. Maybe when the inning's over, you can come back in. That's a weird one for us, but we, we always stick to it. And then uh, this was is really like a superstition as much as it was like a tradition. But up until uh, 2020 when COVID hit, my father and I had gone to the last like six or seven uh, opening days for Colorado Rockies, which is a blast. That was our little tradition. Uh, obviously, was the streak was broken in 2020, but but that was just our little you know annual thing was going to opening day and checking that out. Uh, so, yeah, man. Good stuff. Let us know on Twitter uh, at Altitude Effect. Let us know what your baseball traditions, superstitions, anything like that is. I'd love to hear from all the fine listeners tuning in today. So with the, I guess, appetizers out of the way, we will get into the main course and sink our teeth into the Colorado Rockies as they stand in the last week. Starting off with a pretty common... I don't want to say complaints, but an issue the Rockies have had the last few seasons, which is their bullpen. The Rockies just finished up a three-game set, including a doubleheader, with the Chicago Cubs in Chicago. Once again, Daniel Bard struggling mightily uh, in their nightcap. They ended up winning 13-10, but not before Daniel Bard allowed seven runs in the pivotal seventh inning of that game. Bard has, uh, keep me honest here, Skyler, because I need to have some stats, but Bard has uh, eight blown saves on the season, which ties the league lead, uh, currently rocking a earned run average over five. Really, really struggling, as have some other members of the bullpen. 
So we talked a little bit about this before we started recording today, so I want to hear from both of you guys. I'll start with Skyler because I know my man came prepared with some stats. Colorado Rockies bullpen, there's some highs, there's some lows. What do you make of it right now? What needs to be done to get them back on track? General breakdown of the Rockies at your arms. Yeah, so I kind of wanted to start off focusing on Daniel Bard. Uh, as we know, he's struggled quite a bit. Uh, throughout the season, you no, know, after having such a phenomenal 2020 season, his, you know, his comeback player of the year season, and you know he he's kind of been up and down this season, and it's becoming more evident as of late, where you know, mm-hmm. we've written about it a lot on the site, where Daniel Bard's stuff just isn't as crisp as it was last year. You know, he's kind of throwing flat fastballs, sliders aren't breaking, you know, quite the way he wants them to. And so he's just having all these struggles that's kind of led to him you know, having those eight blown saves uh, throughout the year. And just kind of running down some of his stats here. So he's seven and six on the year, which you know, ideally you never want your closer to have that many wins or losses right. in a season. But he does have 20 saves, so that's not terrible uh, given how the offense is this year too. And especially on the road, but that's seven six uh, win loss record, twenty saves, five nineteen ERA, and kind of bearing down more into what's going on with Daniel Bard. You look even further mm-hmm. down into his splits against lefties and righties and home and away, where he is getting pummeled by left-handed batters this season. Where so far, left-handed batters are hitting three forty-five. 415, 691 against him. So they have that huge batting average. They're getting on base, and they're just hitting him hard. Whereas against lefties, he's given up 38 hits, 13 doubles, 2 triples, 7 home runs, in total given up 25 runs to left-handed batters, which it could be that point where he's just really having a hard time figuring out how to pitch to left-handed batters. Because against righties, he's a little bit better. Uh, he's only given up 21 hits, two doubles, one home run. Uh, he's got 29 strikeouts against him, and they're just slashing 221, 321. Let's see, that's 274 or so against mm-hmm. him. So he's having a lot more success against righties, which is good. But it, it's just figuring out that split against lefties where he's just getting hit hard. And, again, to fit in with the rest of the weird 2021 season Daniel Bard has been much better at home than he has on the road (laughs) just like the rest of the Rockies so at home he's sporting a 288 ERA he's only given up two home runs Uh, he has given up 13 runs but still overall uh, he's given up a pretty average 267 batting average to opponents and they're only slugging 407 against him so a little bit better at home and he's pitched at home a lot more 34 and a third innings because he has a lot more save opportunities there. Whereas on the road in 16 innings, he has a 10, 13 ERA and he's given up six home runs and teams have a 329 batting average against him and a 671 slugging against him. So Daniel Bard, definitely I'd put him my chances having him at home, but just like a lot of these other relievers on the road, they struggle. They're struggling away from Coors Field, which just blows my yep. mind that that's the problem with the Rockies' bullpen is that 
they're better at home than they are away from Coors Field for the most part. Do you think – I'm going to get to Evan here just a second, but real quick, Skyler. Do you think there's a quick fix to Barnes' mechanics? Is there anything you're seeing specifically and you'd like to change his game plan, the way he attacks specifically left-handed hitters? Um, I, I think the big part, and I know you know big leaguers, they know what they're doing, and you know, they, they sure. probably have better ideas than I do. But even just my philosophy, you know, everything is just better spot location uh, with your pitches, especially with – you know, left-handed batters uh, is just trying to find that weak point. And so keeping it down, down in the zone, maybe away, down and away is always a good spot uh, for left-handed mm-hmm. batters, especially because, but you have to avoid that slider coming into left-handed batters because that's just crossing over the plate and they can turn on it. And that's where you get your home runs and everything. So it, it's probably just a little bit better spot location and sequencing especially against lefties uh, to find their attack, their weak points. And I, I'm not quite sure how many other pitches Bard throws. I only ever <laughs> think of him throwing fastballs and sliders. And so if he sure. has another secondary pitch, he's really got to fine tune that against left-handed batters because that slider is just not going to get anything done. Mm, I like it. Yeah. Location obviously has been a big issue for him this season. Evan, anything uh, to add to what Skyler said about Bard or anything at all in the bullpen in general? So I, I, I will talk about Bard to start, is that those splits really are absolutely brutal. Yeah. And I wonder how much of it is something that the Rockies have been struggling with really is their pitch location on the road, which is interesting because it seems like they finally solved the puzzle of course Field pitching, and John Gray... Um, mentioned that it's more predictable you know where your spots are and you know where the ball is going to break to more easily at home and so now it seems like they don't really have a good feel for where any of these pitches are going to hit on the road so they're breaking too much almost it's just so strange and it really is absolutely brutal looking at his splits because the the home game sample size that 34.1 innings across 33 games that's a pretty solid sample size sure. for a relief pitcher. So you can pretty accurately say what you're getting from Daniel Bard at home, and, and you can trust him way more. He's got the 41 strikeouts to just 10 walks. But then on the road with that 10.13 ERA in 18 games, and that's Yikes. only 16 innings, he's given up more walks. In, he's given up 12 walks in half as many uh, innings and only 22 strikeouts. And that average and his whip are way more bloated. Mm -hmm. And it really is, he needs to figure out what's going on with that slider and with his fastball. This season, he's throwing his slider as his primary pitch 47.1% of the time, according to Baseball Savant. And if you look at the charting of where it usually hits, it's very frequently hitting in the middle of the zone, which is absolutely where you do not want that slider to be. What I would like to see from Daniel Bard is work on that slider location, getting it down and on the corners. Same with that fastball. But I'd also like to see him throw his uh, tertiary and fourth pitches a lot more. He's got a changeup, as most of the Rockies pitchers do, and he's got a sinker, and I would like to see him throw those pitches more. Pitches that have downward-breaking action and can exploit hitting the bottom of the strike zone where he's not going to get damaged as much. 
and especially on the road, I think he needs to start using those pitches more. Yeah. Because I really, really like Daniel Bard. He's such a fantastic story, and he's a really great guy. But And he's got some really solid metrics. His spin rate for his fastball and his fastball velocity are top of the league. Velocity in 97th percentile. We know he can hit over 100. His fastball spin rate is in the top 100th percentile of the league. He's got good stuff, but when he can't place it, especially on the road, it just makes him an absolute liability. And it's really frustrating because we keep wheeling him out as the closer, and he just can't get it done there. And you look at his last two outings, both of which were against Chicago, where he just gave it up for the Rockies. He couldn't finish the inning in either outing, and it just wasn't wasn't pretty at all. Multiple runs allowed. I think he allowed three runs in both of those outings. And I that's what he needs to work on is that pitch location, especially with his breaking pitches. Like if he doesn't want to rely on his four seamer as much, then he needs to start busting out that sinker and that change up, both yep. of which he's using under 10% of the time yep. that change up. He's only thrown 48 times so far this season. And he needs to, in my opinion, utilize those downward breaking pitches a lot more because he just can't, keep leaving fastballs and sliders over the heart of the plate. It's mm-hmm. not going to work out. So Bard obviously struggling, like you both just mentioned, the location. He's throwing these sliders right over the heart of the plate. That's what we saw with the Ian Happ home run that actually ended up tying up the game with the Cubs. But we also have other relievers on the Rockies that are having a rough season so far. Tyler Kinley, uh, again, we talked about this before we actually started recording, but Tyler Kinley has been streaky, right? We'll see these instances of him having a pretty solid run of a few games in a row allowing a run if not any but then he'll give up four runs right uh we've seen Yetzel Monte has had a rough season in general uh rocking a pretty high earned run average six and a half excuse me Yense is actually up to eight actually Ben Bowden seems to sort of uh get a bit more command but he's also struggling a bit Robert Stevenson same sort of streakiness these are all relievers that have been in the sort of 7th, 8th uh, innings pitching late in these games. Is there anything you guys can take away from that? Do we need to shuffle around anything? I guess back to Evan here. What do you make of any of these other relievers who can't really step in to help out Bard because they are themselves struggling? So when you look at the bullpen as it is right now, there are only four pitchers on the active roster, not on the IL or not in the minors or anything like that with an ERA under five. Mm. And that is absolutely brutal. But those pitchers are Carlos Estevez, Robert Stevenson, uh, Lucas Gilbreth, and Julius Chessin. And Robert Stevenson, like you said, has been a little bit streaky, but he legitimately has been one of the better relievers for the Rockies this season. He's got an ERA of 4.31 and an ERA plus of 110 Mm -hmm. in 33 and one-third innings uh, across 35 total appearances. He's got 36 strikeouts, so he's, you know, averaging over a strikeout per inning and uh, 16 walks, which is probably more than you want, but it's definitely, he's definitely not nowhere near, not anywhere near as bad as some of the other relievers. He's only given up five home runs, um, which is one of the lower marks for this entire bullpen. 
but I think we need to rely on him more so he's getting more work consistently. And then the other uh, the other three players with ERAs under five have, have really sort of proven their mettle. A lot of people I see on Twitter every time Carlos Estevez is coming into the game are, you know, ragging on him. It's like, oh, here comes Estevez to blow the game. But Estevez really has been remarkably consistent for most of the season. He admittedly has had some rough games, but he very rarely gives up more than two earned runs, and even then that doesn't happen very often. And here in the month of August, uh, across nine appearances so far, he's given up no runs. And he has only walked three batters as opposed to seven strikeouts. And a strikeout stuff isn't working as good as it normally is because we know he's got high velo strikeout stuff, Mm -hmm. but he's getting ground outs and he's making stuff work for him. He's got an ERA right now on the season of 417. It's one of the better marks for the bullpen across 45 and a, and a third innings. He's making it happen, and he's been one of the very few consistent pieces of this bullpen. It's the same with uh, Julius Chassin. Is Julius Chassin had a fantastic July where he didn't give up a single earned run for the entire month. And in August, he's had some some spots he had on August 11th, a two earned run game. Mm-hmm. And then he had that one game against the Cubs this last series where he came in for his second inning of work and just could not hit the zone. And I admit that it was very ugly. He threw 12 straight balls and walked three players in a row on four pitches, but then came out the very next game and threw a flawless inning. And I think that aberration is not something you look at and go, oh, he's washed, oh, we can't rely on him. Because if you look at his season for the most part, starting back in like halfway through June, he's been incredibly reliable and consistent. So that's two of the two of the four. And then we also already talked about Robert Stevenson. It really is just I think he's missed time and he needs to get more work. Sure. I I have very few issues with Stevenson right now, but the guy that I want to talk about is the Colorado native Lucas Gilbreth, who had never pitched above A-level ball before this season, and we've been watching him sort of develop and learn the big league game in real time, and it was a little messy at first. He had his ERA up to uh, 10.13 earlier in the season, and it was above 7 for a very large portion of the season, but since... um, July, his ERA has been slowly ticking downward where it's under five now. He's sitting at 4.82, and he did have um, that one game against Arizona to end the homestand last week where he unfortunately did walk in a run and just couldn't get that inning of work done. But in the month of August, he has one earned run across 28 even innings. Uh, pardon me. No, that's 28 on the uh, season total. Mm-hmm. But in August, he had eight and one-third innings and eight appearances with 11 strikeouts and only five walks. And this is a kid who's pretty young. Like, he was born in 96. He's only 25. This is his first big league season. And like I said, had never pitched above a level ball before. And he's been showing that he is learning and developing and additionally earning more and more time out of the bullpen. He's been, as far as rookie 
pitchers who we haven't lost to injury like Jordan Sheffield, he's been fantastic because, you know, Ben Bowden's been struggling a lot more than Lucas Gilbreth, and Ben Bowden is one who was considered a lot more of um, a high-ceiling kind of guy. But it's been Lucas Gilbreth of all the rookie pitchers outside of Jordan Sheffield who have really been impressing me. Yeah. it And it is good that you're mentioning some of these other relievers um, that have had you know positive outcomes in Rockies games because I think a lot of time is spent on these guys that are struggling. So it is a good shout-out to mention guys like Gilbreth and um, Estevez and these other, you know, potentially – Guys, are you going to hang on to for the future that might end up being pieces you can utilize as the rebuild that's not a rebuild continues? We're going to keep on moving to the next one. We can talk bullpen all day long, but I want to talk about real briefly CJ Crone and Connor Joe continuing to have torrid paces this last month or so. As it relates to Connor Joe specifically, Rymel Tapia is going to be finishing up his rehab assignment pretty shortly uh, with the Albuquerque Isotopes, and he'll be bringing back up the Big League team question becomes at that point what do you do with Connor Joe he has been you know pretty solid in the leadoff spot for the Rockets of the last couple weeks that's obviously where Ryan Beltapia usually inhabits do you move him around you know they both play the same position left field what do you think Skyler what's your move with Connor Joe once uh, Ryan Beltapia comes back uh, enter into a platoon situation at that point yeah you know because it's it's inevitable they're going to put Ryan Beltapia back out there uh, that's just how the Rockies operate, and so he'll get that playing time. Uh, but you know, Connor Joe has earned his way out there, so you know, ideally, you just put him back into a platoon situation with Tapia of some kind, or you know, getting them both those reps there. Uh, but yeah, that's the the rough part is <laughs> when you have guys coming back that you know are bona fide already staples that you know are going to be those starters. Rymel Tapia earned that for him self last year. And so he mm-hmm. saw why he was there all year, but you know, so it's, it's, it's tough. Uh, there is that benefit of them being a lefty and a righty. So hopefully, you know, uh, Connor Joe can, you know, get more of that playing time that he needs to, because, you know, he has been hot and carrying this offense. So, uh, it'll be a shame to see him lose playing time, but hopefully they can, you know, find him a spot somewhere. Like I said before, teach him how sure. to play second base or somewhere else. Catcher, yeah, something. Catcher. He could be like Chris Taylor. Yeah. Just, he finds find him a spot in the lineup somewhere. Any single spot, any position is a possibility for him. What do you think, Abby? You doing a platoon situation with Connor Joe, or are you having him learn how to play catcher? Uh, I will say it's funny that you mentioned him playing catcher because he actually did play catcher in uh, as a kid and in high school. There you go. There's a precedent. So he's got experience with that. He's a tough guy. But Connor Joe, I think, I definitely agree. It's sort of a Chris Taylor thing. No matter what, you need to find him a spot in the lineup. He has more than earned everyday playing time, especially because he's currently – Ironically, him and Rymel Tapia are two of the Rockies' better players on the road, where uh, on the road, Connor Joe is slashing 253, 333, 391 with three home runs, and Rymel Tapia is slashing 267, 320, 298. No home runs, but six doubles, and they've both been some of the better players on the road. What I would do with Connor Joe is you do platoon him for left field, 
but then no reason why not to see if he can pick up any other spots to play. See if he can play second base. Put him in right field. Put him at third base when you need a rest day for Ryan McMahon or somebody. This is a guy who's in, incredibly adaptable, and he hits very well. Sure. And he's earned an everyday spot that there is no reason to not be experimenting on ways to get him continued playing time when Ryan Tapia gets back so that he can continue to develop and we can make sure that we have a great evaluation of where he is at for the next season. Because where he's at right now, I definitely believe that he should be an everyday starter kind of guy next year. He's a little bit of a late bloomer because he's 29, but, you know, uh, Mike Yastrzemski out in San Francisco is like that as well, or even Chris Taylor, where they're sort of coming into their own at an older age. But he's been so good for the Rockies and is such a fan favorite that there is no reason to not find a way to keep him in the everyday spot. And I would actually say when Tapia comes back to not have Tapia bat out of the leadoff straight away. Interesting. Because it's been a hot minute since he's played big league ball now. He's doing his rehab assignment in Albuquerque right now. Maybe put him a little lower in the lineup. You could put him in like one of the seven, eight, nine spots where we have been seeing increased offensive production in those spots. Or you sort of split back and forth where if you're platooning with Joe, when Joe's in the lineup, he leads off. And when Toppy is in the lineup, Toppy leads off. But it's tough to say because Connor Joe needs to keep playing. It's it's one of those things where we've got a little over a month left. There is no reason to not have Connor Joe get everyday playing time or very, very frequent playing time. As always, we talk a lot about some of these younger players being given opportunities in these high-level spots. And it's interesting because the Rockies, actually, this is a nice little tie-in. As we discussed, so many of these players that could potentially be giving these, you know, high-leverage roles, we recently had uh, MLB.com come out with its list, its ranking, actually, of every team's minor league system following this year's draft. The Rockies come out to the 26th best farm system. Uh, I guess there's a lot that goes into that. We've talked a lot about September call-ups, not on this podcast, but, you know, we've had our conversations. So really, what we have a great sister podcast we mentioned all the time. Justin Wick and Kenneth Weber talk a lot on the Pebble Report about Rockies minor league system. So they're going to have a really great in-depth breakdown of the Rockies minor league system and probably September call-ups here. But real briefly, I'll start with Skyler here. What do you want to see from September call-ups? What are your thoughts on the Rockies farm system in general being ranked 26th? Uh, guys like Connor Joe, Ryan Maltapia, Lucas Gilbreth, they've made impacts this year. Who is the next guy to come up? I guess that's just a general minor league, September call-ups, anything you want to touch on here. It's tough, especially nowadays, because with September call-ups, they just have 28-man rosters. So they're required mm-hmm. to just have two extra guys, which I'm all for that change because... I was sick of the days in the past where the Dodgers have just their 20 million pitchers coming out of the bullpen during a game in September. Yes. And then the Rockies are carrying only 30 guys and some, but so I like even in that out, but it makes it all the more difficult with September where, you know, what guys do we want to get exposed to big league hitters to prep them for the next year? And so ideally I'd just like to see guys that have a spot in our, no big plans have a 
great shot to make the roster next year and contribute. So that's why, you know, I'd love to see Colton Welker get called up and finally just see what he can do at the big league level because he's been tearing through the minors this year, even after serving that 80-game suspension. And so yes. I'd love to see him and where he kind of fits into the dynamic of the team because uh, you can get special things like when Sam Hilliard first came up in that September call-up and he went on a tear. And so I, that's what I specifically want to see perhaps from the you know, the positional type guys. And then pitching-wise, you know, the Rockies you know, start holding these auditions, so to speak, for some of these pitchers that could come up. So whether it be you, know, you bring up Justin Lawrence again, see what he can do. You bring up Julian Fernandez, uh, see what they can do maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot of dynamics, but – Specifically, I'd want to see guys that really have a chance to make the team next year who are ready to take that next step, see what they can do. And so, yeah, the Peter Lamberts, the Ryan Rollisons, the Colton Welkers, the Ryan Valades even almost. No, yeah. get those guys. Get them those reps. Or even Eddie Hooters Mon- Montero. See what he can do. He's been tearing it up in double A. So, and he's on the 40-man roster, unlike a lot of these other guys. So, Makes it, Makes it that easier to bring him up, but then, you know. So it'll be interesting to see any corresponding moves, who gets maybe designated for assignment, who gets released yes. to make room for you no know, more than just those two open spots. But, you know, maybe we see the last Chichi Gonzalez or you know, even uh-huh. Daniel Bard maybe, something like that. So who mm-hmm. knows? But that's kind of what I want to see, guys who can contribute for next year. Give them those open tryouts. Because there's no reason not to, right? In a season where the Rockies are obviously not making the playoffs, you may as well just give some time for some of these young guys to take some at-bats and get some pitching. Yeah, yeah? exactly. Take it. I would love to see uh, Colton Welker, like you said. That's like my big like dream call-up guy. Evan, you agree? Anybody else we haven't named yet? So, real quick, I want to touch on. So, the ranking of the Rocks farm system, we've yeah. been pretty consistently low yeah. um, in the rankings over the last couple of years. But... Something I want to touch on really quick is that I don't necessarily think that's because the Rockies have a bad farm system. Something I've really noticed is that our farm system right now is very bottom-heavy. The majority of our talent that we're really looking at and our high-level draft picks are not playing above AA right now. The majority of them are in A-level ball, either low A with Fresno, high A with Spokane, or even playing in the uh, ACL Rookie Leagues right now. Uh, In our top 30 prospect list, we only have three guys in AAA right now, and that's Ryan Rawlison at number three, uh, Ryan Valade at number five, and then Colton Welker at at number 20. Yeah. And I, I think it really is, because if you look at the Albuquerque lineup right now, they have maybe six guys on that entire roster who I say would equate into immediate big league talent. Guys like Julian Fernandez, um, those three other prospects I mentioned, Alan Trejo maybe. But outside of that and a couple guys down at AA, and we have uh, two very good prospects down in AA right now, and guys like Michael Toglia and Willie McIver, but they're struggling to put it together right now in AA because they just got elevated and... Uh, this season, and they're working to adapt to that higher level of play. 
uh, probably the best guy in our AA system right now is El Hiris Montero, who has been doing really, really well, but I wouldn't want to uh, elevate him immediately from AA to the big league roster. So it's sort of tricky to just look at the number of 26 in the league at face value. Because when you do a deeper dive into our farm system, I think it really is just how bottom-heavy our current um, minor league system is, organizationally speaking. Mm -hmm. But, guys, I would like to see get the September call-up. Um, there's been a lot of talk about the Rockies running a six-man rotation in September, and I am totally down for that, to have Ryan Rolison and Peter Lambert get some big league pitching reps before the end of the year. If we're not going to do that, then it's got to be Ryan Valade or Colton Welker, who have both been doing really, really, really well at the AAA level and definitely have a very strong chance to break camp with the team next year. I think overall, uh, the Rockies have a lot of tough decisions to make in September and in the offseason of where guys are going to be in the future. Folks like Jonathan Daza, maybe even Dom Nunez or Elias Diaz, various members of the bullpen and if they're going to continue to stay with the team because we've got log jams at several positions especially in the outfield where we're going to have to make some tough choices same for the bullpen where we need to start making room for some of these younger guys to come up like julian fernandez who's not one of our top 30 prospects but he throws a fastball at 103 miles per hour Pretty good. so that's just sort of where we're at right now yeah i Boy, Colton Walker has made up for lost time, hasn't he? It's great to see him tearing it up. And yeah, I would love, like I said, love to see him come up. Um, man, I wish this was longer because we could talk about this all day, man. The the future of the Rockies is like what we all love to discuss for ages. But we do got to take a little break here. So we're going to take a little ad break. Make sure you hang with us. We're going to talk a little bit more about uh, the Rockies' potential future. Then we're going to get to around baseball talk about you know, a couple of uh, potential Hall of Fame candidates coming in the uh, next couple of years. Talk about a weird change the Atlantic League made. And we got a little announcement for you for a future episode. So stick through us through the break. Back here just a little bit. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And we are back from our ad break. Appreciate you sticking with us through that break. Sometimes what we do during these ad breaks is we talk a little bit about how the episode's going and... I was telling uh, my associates, Evan and Skyler, that one thing that's nice about having these two on the show with me, I don't know you know, what our audience that listens to the show necessarily is like when it comes to understanding the advanced metrics of baseball, but I don't know nothing about them. Like, I don't really get any more complicated than earned run average. The nice thing about having people like Skyler and Evan here is that they have a much deeper understanding of these things than I do. So we were talking about a little bit the bullpen a little bit earlier, and our resident smart guy, Skyler has some more information that we want to talk about with the Rockies' bullpen. So I'm going to let him get into this a bit more about the Rockies' bullpen, Skyler, whatever else you had on them that we didn't touch on before. Yeah, and I've fooled everybody. I'm not the resident smart guy. I'm just good at playing <laughs> the part. You are a smart guy. <laughs> uh, no, like, we were talking a lot about the bullpen before and kind of that question of 
know what's kind of going on with them. What can they do to fix it maybe? Um, and something that I've kind of noticed, my opinion, throughout the season is, you know, the bullpen reliever in baseball is a very volatile thing where, you know, you'll get guys that have a great year and then the next year they regress. We're seeing that with Yancey Almonte this year, who was pretty much the best reliever we had last year. Uh, mm-hmm. But then this season he's sitting at that 8.83 ERA. And so he's been hit really hard this year. And you know, we're seeing a lot of these other guys where this year it's mostly Yuli Chassin that's kind of been the best one throughout the year. Yeah. And even he's kind of been up and down throughout the year. And so I, it's something that I've noticed with this whole bullpen in general with their struggles, again, a lot of them are kind of mix and match. Some are way better on the road, like Robert Stevenson uh, and Tyler Kinley. They've been a little bit better on the road coming out of the bullpen. But then other guys have been way better coming out of the bullpen at home at Coors Field, kind of like Daniel Bard. And so you you see this dynamic where these guys are, some are struggling when they're at home and some are struggling when they're on the road. And so it's kind of figuring out that balance of what can you do to help these relievers especially and pitching in general because our starters have struggled a little bit more on the road of what can they do to manage their ability to to pitch on the road and in certain high leverage situations and i think that's the mm-hmm. the thing the rockies have struggled with is having consistently reliable guys that can come in a high leverage situation and just slam the door well right. Carlos Estevez, yeah, he's been up and down this year, and I agree with you know, with Evan. Throughout the year, Estevez, you know, he's been better. He's been good, and he's also been bad. He, we've gotten both ends. But lately, he's been a lot better than he has been. Uh, no, when he and you know, Jairo Diaz were having the same kind of struggles in the bullpen. But I think it's figuring out essentially this, the specific roles these guys need to have in the bullpen and how they can contribute to the team. You know, like we were talking about with Daniel Bard, maybe you need to have a, rele- a closer by committee, a left-handed closer and a right-handed closer. Mm-hmm. You know, to try and balance that out somehow, or as soon as the left hand, if Daniel Bard's facing more than one left-handed batter in an inning, he probably shouldn't be pitching anymore. Oh, because we were talking about that, those games at the Cubs, what side of the plate were both you know, Rafael Ortega, Ian Happ batting, against Daniel Bard when they hit home runs. They were both coming in from the left side. So it might be figuring out just that dynamic in the bullpen of where you can maximize guys. Carlos Estevez, I'd ideally like to see him in the seventh inning, but we don't really have a bridge in the eighth inning to get to the closer. And so Bud Black's had to put him out in that eighth inning, but he's been a lot better when he comes in the seventh inning as opposed to the eighth inning. So it's just finding that dynamic of where guys can contribute the most and be the most successful. Sure. And so that, why, do you, why do you think that is? It's it's that's the million dollar question right there because then we're getting into the <laughs> world sure. of the mind. And, yeah. <laughs> you know it, it's it is weird. You know the certain mindsets and you know probably situations of leverage that they're coming in. No, you're probably not going to – there's less leverage in the seventh inning because, you know, you still got two more innings after you, so you're just focused on, I got to get these three outs, move on, regardless of what happens. 
Whereas in the ninth inning and the eighth inning, the game's a little bit more on the wire and you're probably facing better batters in a higher leverage situation. The other team's going to be a little bit more daring and swinging for the fences. And so, you know, that mind and skills coach, there's probably a bunch of other factors that probably haven't factored in yet or that we can't really consider. But, you know, there might be things outside of mechanics and stuff that the Rockies can work on out there in the bullpen with their, you know, dealing with those high leverage situations, you know, mm-hmm. that mentality, kind of like what Daniel, that's the highlight of having Daniel Bard out there is that he could, you know, presumably help those younger guys with that and help develop them. So, yeah. but it's, I think finding everybody's specific role to maximize their ability because it gets hard out there in that bullpen when it's a gamble every single time, you don't know what you're going to get. True. So I do not envy. It's hard for them and hard for us. Yeah, and I don't envy Bud Black having to make those decisions, but no, it could be. You, know, you have a specific set of arms that you want, are your go-to on the road, and your go-to on the at home, or uh, you can get into those weird, wild things. But that bullpen has potential. But it's something if the Rockies really want to turn things around, that's something they really need to develop in their system. Is building up these strong relievers who can come in and just throw strikes yep. and you no know, pump in 103 miles an hour. You now get that wide yep. variety of guys, but who can just come in and get outs high strikeout guys, low walk guys, you know, crafty guys, whatever you need, fill out that bullpen. Cause at the moment, a lot of these guys kind of feel like the same arm a lot of the time. And that teams can pick up on that. So, of course. Ugh. The bullpen issue is one that we've seen pervasive in Rockies culture for years now. There's not a simple solution to it, but it couldn't hurt to try something new. Yeah. So hopefully the Rockies can do something and utilize some of these newer players that might be coming up uh, in the next couple seasons and really start to, like Tyler, like Skyler said, bridge that gap um, to you know those starters who the Rockies have a very solid rotation at this point and really get them through those last few innings. You got anything on this, Evan? Uh, so something interesting, um, Skyler, when you brought up like maybe needing to have a righty closer and a lefty closer or, or other uh, different committees that we can do, is that the Rockies have, for the first time in a while, two lefties in the bullpen, and both of them are rookies. Yeah. And both of them are having you know, very interesting seasons where Lucas Gilbreth started off really struggling but has really been clicking as of late in the last month or so. And then you have Ben Bowden, who was the the higher drafted guy, and he really the higher rated prospect for Rockies bullpen pitchers, who's sort of been all over the place this year. He's had a couple games where you really see his stuff shine through. Like um, the other night against the Cubs, he pitched for uh, one and one-third innings, at the end of that doubleheader, allowed no hit, struck out two. Um, back in July, he had a game against the Angels where he didn't allow a hit through two innings and struck out four. And yeah. so you can see his stuff really shine through. But then a lot of the other times, he struggles a lot. Like, almost every game he's pitched in August, he's given up a run. And 
it's one of those things where the Rockies do need to focus on how they want to develop individual pitchers out of the bullpen because not everybody's going to be able to play the same style, but also everybody's different is going to develop differently. And the Rockies, as we know, have really been at a lack for left-handed bullpen pitchers recently. And if that is something we need to focus on, maybe is having a bit more of a balanced bullpen so we can uh, better strategize for who we're going to put out there versus, you know, the majority of our guys having very similar pitch arsenals and the majority of them being right-handed pitchers. Mm-hmm. So it really is, you want to have a big selection of bullpen type guys to go through. And it really is, I think another thing where like bringing in free agent relievers can be great and it can be terrible. And we've seen it mostly blow up in our face so the Rockies maybe need to focus on what they've been doing with the bullpen with, pardon me, with the rotation mm-hmm. is homegrown and home developed bullpen depth and be one of those teams where it's just got to be a stream of young guys coming up and pitching for the bullpen. Man, could you imagine if we had a guy like Jake McGee being our left-handed closer? <laughs> imagine having that I'm guy so in your team. I'm so mad I knew about we were going to get to it eventually. I knew someone was going to say it. Well, well, one last thing that I'll touch on real quick that Evan reminded me of is, no, we'll see bright, shining moments where the bullpen is just locked down, where, no, maybe the starter struggles a little bit. They labor through four or five innings, and then the bullpen comes in. They're just lights out the rest of the way to give the team a chance to win. And like we talked about, that that bullpen is just such a fickle thing. Who knows what you're going to get out of there? And it reminded me when I – Went to a game in 2018 during the playoff run, and it was a home game against the Diamondbacks. DJ LeMahieu hit a walk-off home run to win that yep. game. But I remember John Gray started that game, struggled through three innings or so, and then the bullpen, I didn't realize this till later, the bullpen came in and threw six perfect innings, three up, three down every single time, then ultimately resenting that walk-off. And so... Mm-hmm. We'll see these bright, shining moments, and the Rockies got to figure out how they can piece those entirety that in, that in entirety for a whole game, every single game, where you can send out one or two guys, and they're just going to be locked down every time. You don't have to worry once your starter comes out. So that bullpen pitching, baby, pitching, pitching always. My uh, pops has told me my entire life the pitching wins championships. Hopefully, the Rockies can get there. Uh, you know, using the pitcher-friendly confines of Coors Field, which sounds like a joke, but sounds like it might actually be a thing now. So we'll see what some of these young guys have to say about it when they get called up here in September. Uh, speaking of the Rockies' future, one quick thing I want to touch on. There was a rumor that came by recently. They're just rumors. You know, we don't know nothing concrete. But there was a rumor that did come by recently about Trevor Story. We all know he's in his walk here. We've talked at length about that. Potentially moving over to Chicago, the north side specifically, to hang with the Chicago Cubs. You know, they recently lost their star infield and Javier Baez. Obviously, they're on the rebuild. Uh, this doesn't have to be, like, a huge, long discussion, but what do you, either of y'all think about Trevor Story potentially going over to the Chicago Cubs? Open floor for whoever wants it. I mean, it's a thing that can happen, I guess. The question is, like, it, it's clear that, you know, Story has said he likes playing at Wrigley 
and he would be down to play with the Cubs, but him being open to playing with the Cubs is not the same thing as it being a surefire fire deal, especially right. because we don't know how much the Cubs are going to be willing to spend or if they want to kickstart that rebuild because they didn't really retain any of their star players. And, you know, there's three or four guys who I would say on that team right now are regular big league bats, but it's not a it's not a good or well put together team right now because they just fire sailed the whole thing Mm -hmm. so who knows if they'd even do it and especially when story is having such a down year you don't know how much teams are going to be willing to pay him what's your what do you think skyler same mindset yeah pretty much it's like (laughs) i always love those types of questions and things that come up because of course when he's sitting at wrigley and they're asking What's it like? Do you enjoy playing here? And of course he's going to say, like, no, this is a great place. I love the history here. Like, he's never going to come out and say, no, this place is a dump, a big old <laughs> garbage fire that I wouldn't be caught dead playing here. You know, unless maybe it was, like, in the o- Oakland Coliseum or something. But Right. But, no, he's always going to do that PR of, like, no, I wouldn't mind playing here. What a great place to play baseball and you know, all the context. But, no, I don't think it – Depends. If the Cubs went out and were spending a bunch, then, yeah, I could see them maybe looking at that interest. Uh, but otherwise, who knows? Story's future is still up in the air of, you know, what's he going to do with his con? What's he going to do and everything where he would really want to play? But uh, I don't see him. He'll consider it if they make him a good offer, but that's pretty much the same you could say for any team. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only time I can remember a player out and out trashing the city was Joe Kim Noah with the 2010 Bulls talking about how much he hated Cleveland. <laughs> I'm not saying I, you know, I'm not saying I'm for that, but it was pretty good TV if nothing else. So yeah, as with everything, we'll kind of just have to wait and see what happens with the story when he inevitably, maybe not, knock on wood, uh, leaves the Colorado Rockies this season. Speaking of uh, different teams other than the Rockies, we have a couple to talk about here real quick. Uh, Yadier Molina is officially going to be retiring after the 2022 season. Great career for him. Uh, multiple-time Gold Glove winner. Probably one of the greatest Cardinals of all time. Probably one of the greatest catchers of all time. Uh, and then also, Miguel Cabrera recently hit his 500th home run. Very possible if he gets another, what is it, I mean, 40-something hits? Um, oh, goodness, I was just talking about this yesterday. And so I should have the number off the top of my head. It's close, I, though. He's about 40-something I believe something it is hits. something like 40. Yeah, something 40 hits away from 3,000 hits in his uh, career. Uh, not impossible he could hit that number this season. Yeah. Um, 42. He's 42 hits away from 3,000. Beautiful. So there we go. So we got two iconic players. Uh, we got Miguel Cabrera and Yadier Molina. Yadier officially calling a career. Miguel Cabrera, he wants to assume probably the next few years, calling it a career. Are these both Hall of Famers? Uh, what do you you know think their legacy is? Just anything you guys got on these two great players. If Joey Votto is not a Hall of Famer, then Yadier Molina <laughs> isn't a Hall of Famer. <laughs> That's probably a fair argument. <laughs> no, it, definitely watching these two guys, they're both probably surefire going into the Hall of Fame. Yep. Like you said, Yadi, one of the best catchers. No, especially in our generation, in this generation of players. One of the best to play as many games as he had at such a grueling position. No, And uh, good on him. 
and he's just played so well. Uh, nice little bounce. He's done pretty well this year, uh, but it, good to see him. Uh, I'm not always the biggest fan of like the farewell tour and their final season where they get all the gifts and stuff, probably just because I liked how much Todd Helton just quietly announced it on a August afternoon. I swear, Skyler, I said the same exact thing to my father yesterday, like word for word. I'm right there with you. Yeah, and so, but with Miggy, great on him. You know, who knows how many more guys will see hit 500 home runs or reach yeah. 3,000 hits. And you know, it, it's cool to see these historic players and see kind of their history playing out. And just it's just cool to see. Good on them. Congrats to them. Uh, good stuff. Yeah, man. Definitely. What do you got, Evan? Uh, Yachty is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yep. There's no question. With his portfolio of work, 10-time All-Star, two-time World Series champ, nine-time Gold Glover, four-time Platinum Glover, the, without a doubt, the best catcher of our generation. He's, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. And, you know, he's almost 40 years old, and it's been, you know, us wondering when he's going to call it a call it a career for the last couple of years and so i think first of all i like farewell tours i think they're fun i think big poppies was a hoot interesting but because it's not usually the player asking for a farewell tour it's usually you know this guy has meant so much to the game that even you know rivals and other teams across the league want to celebrate them so it's not necessarily Yachty going, hey, I'm retiring next year. Everybody tell me how great I am. But I really think it's just him saying, hey, I'm retiring at the end of next year. And then he has meant so much to the game of baseball in recent memory that other teams are going to celebrate him mm-hmm. because it's worth celebrating. Yachty is amazing. He is one of the, the – he is the best catcher I've watched play because he's been playing since I was like – 13 yeah he started in 2004 at the age of 21 he's going to retire in 2022 at the age of 40 and he's just he's that good and he deserves the accolades and deserves the recognition and you know what honestly it's the same for miguel cabrera i love miggy he's one of my favorite players he um, said that he is considering honoring the last two years of his contract, so he signed through uh, 2023 and then has some options that could vest, but it's very unlikely to do so for 2024 and 2025. One of those things that requires uh, for those options to vest is for him to be, like, top 10 in MVP voting, mm-hmm. which, I mean, is probably not going to happen. But he is so close to being one of the members of the 3000 hit 500 home run club. And he's another one of those guys where across the league, he's incredibly well respected and well loved. And whenever he decides to, you know, call it a career, he's a hall of famer as well. So we're witnessing sort of the, the beginning of the end for two guys who are surefire hall of famers who have both played for a very, very long time and both for a very long time been very, very good. The The one downside for Miggy is that he's had a couple years recently where he's been hurt a lot. Right. And that 
unlike Yachty, where Yachty's played the majority of every season he's played except for his rookie year. But at the end of the day, they're both Hall of Famers, no doubt about it. And it's been an honor and a privilege to watch them play for the majority of my adult life. Okay. I'm going to ask a question, and I don't want an extended answer. I just want a name. I'm going to ask the same question of y'all on Twitter. I don't want everyone listening here to know at out to effect what your answer to this question is. No explanation whatsoever. Just give me your answer. Skylar first. Who has a better career between Yada Molina and Miguel Cabrera? I'm putting you on the spot. I know I gave y'all no prep or nothing. Mm, I would say Yadier Molina just because you look at all of the accolades. You know, and ultimately it comes down to Yeah. I'll go with I'll go with Yadi. Okay. Evan. Uh I'm gonna go with Miggy actually. Okay. No explanation. Everyone listening, please let us know as well. Yadier Molina or Miguel Cabrera, agree with you both, obviously. First battle Hall of Famers, incredible talents, the greatest catcher of my um, baseball-watching life and one of the greatest hitters of my great baseball-watching life, like no doubt. But I do want to know on Twitter what y'all think between who had the better career, just for funsies. Last little Actually, bit of I changed my mind to Miggy. Yeah, <laughs> is that right? I just remembered the Triple Crown. Oh, yeah. That's a, yeah, tough to beat that. Okay. You weren't supposed to justify it, <laughs> Skyler. Come but on. But hey, I mean, you know, uh, to be fair, Yadam Lin also has like 27 gold gloves. So, you know, they both have all kinds of accolades. Let us know on Twitter what y'all think. Last little bit of news here, uh, we'll touch on this real briefly, is a very controversial uh, piece of news, actually, is the Atlantic League. Uh, they officially moved the mound back. And this is something that's been talked about a lot over the last few years, but it was considered kind of sacrilege to even consider. They officially moved the mound back to 61 feet, 6 inches. Supposedly, understandably, a lot of pitchers hated that. Of course, they were very vocal about disliking the um, uh, change. The Atlantic League president, Rick White, said that he got weeks of frantic phone calls um, from players and coaches saying, no way, absolutely not, forget it, we won't do it, whatever. Um, but you know, the same league that is, um, you know, utilizing all these different strategies, such as robo umpires, this is yet another one of those, uh, changes that they've made sort of in a test run for major league baseball. There's not a whole lot of information to go off of so far, of course, but what do you think of the idea? I'll start with you, Evan, this time. What do you think of the idea of moving the mount back in major league baseball from 60 feet, 6 inches to 61 feet or beyond. What is your general idea of either moving the mound back or I'll also give you this. What about lowering the mound? Either one of those. Neither. It's that Major League Baseball needs to figure out what they're doing with the ball that they can't stop messing mm-hmm. with. That's it. There's no other solution. They need to stop messing around with things that don't make any sense to do and making unilateral rule changes that are incredibly unpopular and no one likes and just figure out what they're doing about the ball where we've had a different ball every year for the last like four years that all have weird idiosyncrasies about them they're either juiced or they're not juiced enough or whatever figure that out that is what they have to do don't move the mound don't lower the mound don't impose more unilateral rule changes that are going to be unpopular with the players just figure out what you're doing with the ball Hmm. so it's really so forget the um, 
forget the amount of tally. It's just all down to the ball, huh? Yes. Hmm. Interesting. Skyler, uh, the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs have former uh, MLB star Matt Latos pitching for them. He says that he's, you know, dealt with injuries and, you know, to his elbow and his knees throughout his entire baseball career. But he said that he has not had soreness like he did after his first outing from that new distance. Shout to the Washington Post for the information I'm getting this from. What do you think? I mean, the Major League Baseball, former Major League pitcher, is saying that this new mound is messing with his release points, causing stress on his elbow and general soreness. Does that lead you more to believe that this is something that they should get rid of immediately, or is it just kind of thing that they'll figure out with time? Uh, The big thing uh, is, kind of like what Evan was saying, is that all this stuff is they don't need to mess with the mound distance and something i like too is jason stark had a pretty good article in the athletic talking about you know kind of what they've seen from the mound change in these last three weeks of doing it and you know they were looking had some stats looking at it and talking to players and stuff where no the pitchers generally haven't seen much of a difference uh, they've adjusted fairly well, uh, but they still don't feel the difference. But ultimately, looking at the stats that they saw is that there's really hasn't been really any change in the way the game's played, where there's a tiny bit of an increase in you know, contact and stuff. But otherwise, the numbers have kind of evened out, and they're the exact same from 60 foot 6 inches mm-hmm. as opposed to the extra foot. So... You know, messing with the mound and the way that the way a mound has been for so long in baseball, right? You know, that's what guys are seasoned to pitch on. Uh, maybe it could add to extra stress on the arms of pitchers and whatnot, specifically on breaking balls. Uh, but for the most part, the mound hasn't really changed anything in that Atlantic League, and so I think all that evidence is kind of proven. Like, hey. It's probably not going to do anything. Let's just keep it the way it is. And like what Evan was saying, figure out what you're doing with the ball and find it nice and even so we're not getting dead ball or super ball. Mm-hmm. We're just getting average ball. Yeah, there has to be like some sort of middle ground, right? No, you would hope so. <laughs> One would assume, right? Yeah. The ball wasn't an issue for the majority of my life, and then all of a sudden, the last five years, every year it's been an issue. That is an interesting so, point, because we didn't really hear much about the ball when we were watching in, like, you know, the mid to uh, late 2000s, and even the early 2010s. Like, that's really only been a thing the recent years, so that's a good call-out. I don't know. Man, the ball's been changed so much over its life that uh, the, I think as of late, they're getting more manipulative of the ball and you know trying to course correct too much on either end trying to figure out how to help the game move faster and mm-hmm. have more action so which is especially weird for the rockies who already have their own version of gimmicks balls for lack of a better term right we've already got the humidor doing its thing and then you've also got the humidor affecting now these different balls how does the humidor affect that that's a whole other conversation um with science that I couldn't even begin to get into, but you know, it is weird how, why are we talking so much? I, I really like that point. I didn't even think about that. Why are we talking about the, the mound so much when we have this other issue, this pervasive issue that we don't have an answer to yet. 
So that is an interesting little tidbit on that. Any other last-minute thoughts on this mound issue at all? Stop messing with minutia and things mm. like that to try and speed up the game or change the way that the game is played in a desperate effort to, as Skyler said, make it more action-packed and fast-moving. Uh -huh. When really, the best what, best thing that Major League Baseball could possibly do to better market its product and expand its audience is eliminate blackout restrictions so that you can watch whatever team you want Speak. to watch no matter where you're located. That's, yep. Nothing else to add to that. That is spot on. And turn the extra innings just into the home run knockout round like in the Pioneer League. <laughs> let's, get, let's get weird. Let's get some weird baseball in the, here. What is it? The Savannah Bananas? I follow them on TikTok. They're fun. Shouts to the Savannah Bananas. It's been bananas. a blast with them. Shouts to the Bananas on TikTok. They have great TikTok content. And we will too when we get our TikTok running for at AltitudeFX TikTok account. That's coming in the next few weeks. I have nothing to back that statement up. Anyway... Let's get out of here. Thank you all so much for joining us, man. This is amazing discussion. Um, I guess final wrap up on anything we haven't talked about today, guys. Anything you guys want to add to any of those topics we talked about today at all? Uh, Kyle Freeland playing right field there, there was go. surreal. Highlight of the week. He comes in as a pinch hitter. He puts down the m most perfect base hit bunt single. I've think i've seen this season if not in a while it was gorgeous mm -hmm. and then stays in the game in right field to finish things out <laughs> that ruled that was the weirdest game of baseball i've watched in a long, Show long time <laughs> skylar any last minute things from you no no not not at the moment for sure well let's get out of here then so as always, we appreciate you guys listening in to the uh, Purple Row podcast, Effect Balance. We had such a fun time getting through all these different topics and talking about with y'all. And actually, before we go, I do want to say again that I want to hear from y'all. We're officially going to do an episode here in the next coming weeks, a mailback episode. We're going to answer your questions, talk about what you guys want us to talk about. So please let us know on Twitter, at Altitude Effect or at Purple Row. Let us know what you guys want us to cover on an episode of Effect by Altitude. We're going to put up an article where you can post your questions in the comments. So please let us know what you guys want us to discuss, what kind of discourse you want to bring to the show, whatever y'all want. We can get into the, the nitty gritty of the topics you guys want to hear covered. Uh, there's going to be a couple of different rules and just, you know, general guidelines. So make sure you check out the article on the website, purplero.com for that. All that being said, housekeeping's done. Thanks so much for joining us as always. Uh, we appreciate you guys checking this in and listening in every single week. Skyler, where can they find you on Twitter? They can find me at at sideline underscore crowd. Bang. I am at at Cormac Battle Pro. Talk to me about the Rockies. Talk to me about the upcoming NFL season. And talk to me about why CM Punk will definitely beat Darby Allen at the next All Elite Wrestling pay-per-view event. And my friend Evan, where can the lovely people find you on Twitter? So I'm at Evan underscore Lang27. I'd love to hear from you, and I've also recently started trying to expand the kind of writing I'm doing. Uh, I have an article hanging around about the Washington football team's undrafted rookie running back, Jarrett Patterson, out of the University of Buffalo, who's one of my boys, and I'd love for you to check that out, honestly. Yeah. But And then, of course, like I said, follow the uh, podcast's official Twitter, at Altitude Effect. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it every single week. Come on back next time. Same bat channel to uh, hear some more discourse and 
wacky nonsense like we always do. Skylar hit him with it. Farewell. And we're out. Thanks, y'all. Later, y'all.